there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Welcome, folks, to episode number 23 of this little podcast. At the start of the year, I said, uh, get this up and running, I plan to do maybe 30 in the year as a target, but uh, definitely going to break that. This is number 23. I have another five or six recorded. Uh, just agreed to do a few more um, with some uh, very interesting people. Uh, one being a magician that uh, I was talking to yesterday. So he's going to be on soon uh, from Cork. And uh, as I said, last week recorded uh, an episode with the World Memory Champion. Uh, he was a World Memory Champion three times. So that'll be good to get out in the next few weeks. So if you like the show, uh, again, I'd love if you took a couple of minutes at the end, during, uh, at the start, whenever works, to uh, leave a comment on, on the website. Or even better, if you do listen to iTunes, leave a comment there, rate it, give it a star out of five. Uh, that always helps with uh, bumping it up the charts. And when it's higher up the charts, more likely to get more people uh, listening as they see it uh, when they're scrolling up and down the, the different categories it's it's cool i was just checking there today on soundcloud which has all the statistics for for listenership so over 130 countries have listened uh, over 1800 cities globally have tuned in so that's really 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 cool information it's, it's cool to see that and um, so yeah try and keep keep the word uh, being spread if you're enjoying the episodes uh, I'd love, I'd love if you took the time to do that. So this episode is with Veda Lady. So shout out to Kieran being for uh, making the connection. Thanks, Kieran, for connecting me with uh, with Veda. Um, so Veda is a stunt queen or a drag queen uh, called called the drag queen as well. Um, a club promoter and a performer uh, for the last twenty or so years, working in drag for for most of that. Veda has been doing a show called Witchy Wednesdays in the, the George for, for the last 18 years. Uh, during our conversation, we talk about how um, that came to be, uh, coming second in an uh, alternative Miss Ireland uh, a contest. Uh, talk about that. And during the show, we touch on so many really interesting uh, stories from, from Veda's journey, growing up, being always interested in performing and being creative, how Veda got into drag, challenges growing up, challenges you know in, in Ireland 20 years ago, and, and I guess the journey that uh, Veda has gone through over that period of time is very interesting. Some lessons that is shared are, are really interesting, ones that you can take away. You know, like all these episodes, there's, there's lessons to be learned from people's stories, and, and Veda's very keen to to share those so as i'm trying not to go into too much detail on uh, these intros i'm going to leave it there and hope that you're eager to to hear the full episode that follows on uh, straight away here i will say if you are interested in just reading a little bit more check out the show notes uh, i've done a, a good overview of of the show there and consolidated some of the lessons learned and also have some links to the social sites that uh, veda is on that you can get in touch true so I'll leave it there without much further ado, as it is said, I will hand you over to the conversation with me and a Veda lady. Enjoy. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the 1% Better podcast. I am here today with Veda lady. 
Veda Lady, that's one of my many names, yes. Veda Lady. folks. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks and for having me. Thank you for agreeing to uh, have a conversation with me over the next period of time about potentially about 1% better tips. But um, I'd really like to get, I suppose, an insight of, into Veda Lady right now, who you are, what you do, and uh-huh. maybe just talk a little bit about that for a few minutes. Sure. Um, well, I guess I am a stunt queen. Uh, <laughs> a stunt queen, okay. A stunt queen is an expression I really enjoy. It means I'm a bit of a blagger. Right. I've been a, a club promoter and a performer for the past 20 years. Event manager, I suppose, is a more official title. Um, and I've been working in drag mostly, um, entertaining the gay kids. Uh, it's been quite a great ride. And apart from that, I'm a drag mom. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's like being a, a mom to okay. baby drag queens. Right. Um, I'm a wife slash husband slash mother, domestic goddess. Okay. I'm middle-aged, even though I'm still stunning. And, uh, and I guess um, I'm someone who has a good work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I don't live to work. One of the questions I asked near the end is work-life balance, but since you brought it up, okay. maybe we'll, we'll start from the back and work our way up, maybe. So talk I work to me about three that. three nights a week, normally. Okay. Sometimes four. I try not to work any more than that, regardless of what offers come along. Right. Because I like to spend time with my husband mm-hmm. and my, my dog. Yeah. And also, I feel like the, the payoff isn't worth it. Even if you earn a few hundred more euro, yeah. what you're trading in terms of your mm. own well-being, happiness, yeah. it's just not worth it. So I guess when I, when I said that, I suppose that's what I meant, is that Veda is what I do for a living. Right. Um, but that's only half of what I choose to do with my time. Sure. I really enjoy sewing. Okay. I, I write songs record music cool. do a bit of acting I like to do anything creative sounds cooking. like it cool yeah so when you said um, it was an interesting conversation I had with my guest this morning we talked about work-life balance and it's kind of the law of diminishing returns it sounds like you kind of hit that point of your four, three, four nights a week after yeah. that it's no matter what you earn the value of doing it doesn't override the value of your, your downtime right so yeah I think too I'm lucky that I've been doing one of my shows uh, I call it Witchy Wednesdays is a Wednesday night show that I have in the George I've been doing it for 18 years Um, and I love it I'm passionate about it and it's pretty successful which is great so it sustains me in a way um, that allows me more freedom but it also has provided this amazing comfort zone for me because I get ready in the same dressing room every week I work with mostly the same staff and entertainers have a lot of the same customers right Um, so stepping out of my comfort zone to do somebody's no shade to weddings but wedding for example in a a country hotel for a few hundred quid Mm. The anxiety sometimes that that generates. <laughs> just because of a new audience, a totally different environment? I'm not scared of new audiences or even different environments. I think it's more that what I do is quite specific and works really well in my own environment where okay. I control it. When right. you roll it out somewhere else, 
mm. where the expectations might be different or the demographic might be different, it's a compromise to make it work. Okay. And that can be a little bit stressful, I right. suppose. So is that self-imposed stress or, or, or are you concerned of feedback or how that show potentially goes down in those environments or a bit of both? I guess I'm not that worried about how it goes down because I've been in the game for a long time. So I've, I believe in myself in terms sure. of being able to sell it. Yep. It's more that uh, if we're talking about a work-life balance, it's that extra bit that you have to do to earn those extra couple of hundred euro that maybe involves compromising yourself, your integrity in ways that if you don't have to do it, why put yourself through it if you can present your best and make that work yeah um i'm not scared of challenges like i i do a lot of festival gigs and or, or bigger gigs mm. i definitely can rise to the occasion mm-hmm. but i suppose we're just talking about more on a weekly basis right i feel like i'm lucky enough to have hit that sweet spot right at 44 years old mm-hmm. where i don't I, at some point, if you've been in drag for 20 years in a, in, a, in a good city like Dublin, you almost attain a status of legend. Right. And you don't have to slog to keep your name and your face out there anymore. Right. Because you've just worn them down. You've beaten them down. They've seen yeah. you around. Yeah. And it comes Stood with some grudgery, but it comes with some respect. And I guess, I suppose, I'm just celebrating that I'm at that point right in my career where i'm not all about my career anymore cool and that also comes from i suppose being like relatively newly married and just uh, maybe happier mm. freer right you know so you've got you it sounds like you have a good life work life balance, I have a good right? life and i'm not afraid to say it i'm quite proud of it i worked hard for it hasn't always been easy and I feel like it's important for people who are a little bit alternative, uh, gender variant or uh, queers, drag queens, to hear from someone a bit older who's been through it that it can work out fine, Mm. that you can do you, 100% you, Mm. and do fine. Mm. You don't have to be 20 sweating about paying a mortgage, an imaginary mortgage that you don't even have, for mm. example. Mm. What are you going to do with your life? Where are you going? <laughs> you're wasting your life. Yeah. You hear all of those things when you're young. Right. And they can really push you off path. They can really push you away from your real mm. purpose. And I guess I'm lucky to be able to acknowledge that my thing was weird. That if you're four or five, six years old and you want to put on a green cocktail dress that your mom bought and pretend to be Sheena Easton, and you feel every fiber of your being that that's what you're supposed to be doing mm. and mm. you love it. And in some weird way, you're kind of good at pretending to be Sheena Easton for right. a five-year-old, a six-year-old, whatever you are. Yeah. Um, the idea that that can actually be how you make a living, mm. not just Sheena Easton, no disrespect to her, but you know that can actually be your path, your art, your story, yeah. Yeah. is I think one of the greatest lessons that I would have to share with someone younger than me is that maybe it is as simple as that you just do exactly what turns you on Hmm. and work at it and it will work for you cool so I picked up on purpose which is a very strong theme I think in in this not just this episode in all episodes 
to, to try and figure out what that is. So yeah. did, did you figure that out? I, I'm making the assumption that that story was actual reality back when you were five and six yeah. years of age. It's just, that's the truth. Maybe I was a little older, but yeah. Right. You know, not when I first started to dress up. As sure. But maybe I was a little older when Sheen Easton had a hit, is all I mean. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just trying to make myself younger again. Um, but yeah, no, that's true. And I don't know if it's about purpose. Maybe it's about purpose. Mm, I think it's about being made to feel wrong. Right. And having the sense, a sense of defiance, even as a child. Mm. And being made to feel wrong and shamed for things that interest you and that feel very natural and that you're actually very good at. Yeah. Um, is devastating for a child. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what lit the fire. Right. As well. That made me think, no, I will do. So it was a rebellious exactly almost? Want. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was rebellious, not, not, rebelli- yeah. not rebelling for the sake of rebelling. It, it felt like it, it felt, was the right thing to do. It felt like the right thing to do. It's hard to grow up gay, I think, for a lot of people. Um, you know, 40 years ago, it was harder. Sure. I think for, for men at that time, in that era, having uh, a camp gay son, brother, mm. nephew, was challenging. And you feel every single bruise as a kid right. from all of that negative handling or perception of who you are. Mm. And it's very damaging stuff. Right. And I suppose somehow all of that manure, all of that shit is what fertilized the seed in me to say, no, I'll be as loud as camp, as pretty, as flamboyant, mm. as sexy as I want to be. Mm-hmm. And you can have several seats. Yeah. And I didn't ever compromise. And that took me to some very dark places along the way. Yeah. It was not an easy journey. Mm. But I would give myself that credit that I didn't compromise. Yeah. And that that's okay because I'm sitting here now. It's not that I have it all sorted, but I'm definitely happier than I've ever been before. I have some monicum of security. I have a little bit of respect from my peers and a lot more respect for myself. And so I suppose, yeah, lesson number one that I'm getting from this conversation would be that, yes, that the first message that I would want to give to anyone in my shoes or any young camp kid listening to this is do not let anybody take it away from you. Mm -hmm. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Mm. It won't work. It will never work. And it will be the hardest thing to let go of. Mm. The more walls you build up or the, the, the more sophisticated mask you wear the harder it is to knock them down or to take it off mm. so really try not to sure cool well that's a very good starting message to go with i want to kind of bring it a little bit so forward as you you said it's probably 20 years since you started yeah. performing yeah maybe even the 10 years building up to that or how did you even get to that point where you were became the performer i'm sure along the way there's been break breakthrough points or turning points i'd love to hear that story yeah well really i guess as a, as a kid i was doing a bit of performing i was in musicals at home 
and maybe you know doing the odd dance class singing in a choir where's home where was home Malahide oh Malahide okay. yeah so like the local community musics, uh, musicals I was like Danny in Greece right I was Joseph in Joseph's Technicolor Dream Co I was that annoying kid who sang Spaceman Came Travelling at Mass and <laughs> you know I was that kid and I think I was Mary in my school play at the time so yeah, I would have been so jealous <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no one was going to let me be Mary, that's for sure. They was afraid I wouldn't stop being Mary okay. if they started me off. Yeah. But um, but that's how that was already there in me. But I started being a bit of a club kid, I suppose, when I left school. And I was hanging out with one of my favorite people in the world, who uh, who's a filmmaker called Paul Rowley, who's my best friend, now lives in New York. And he was the one doing a little bit of drag. So I would knock together dresses for for her, right. help her put her wig on back to front, um, help oh. just help her get her stuff together. And that, that went on for a few months. I and mean, we'd just go out to clubs and she would perform and I wouldn't. Right. Um, Is this where the sewing skills started to come in for Plano? Yeah. yeah. Well, my granny sews. Okay. So we can we come back to her because she's okay. a great person to talk about. But right, right. a bit of sewing in the background too. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely it was when I was started making drag. I wasn't making drag for me. Yeah. Um, but Paul moved to San Francisco. And a few months later, I went to visit him. It was my first time in the States. It was my first time in America. Yeah. Uh, uh, everything was incredibly surreal. Mm-hmm. It's your first time in America. If you've never seen a yellow taxi cab before and suddenly you're looking at a yellow taxi cab, it's mind-blowing. Mm. Um, and he was performing at a club, a, a quite an infamous club called Tranny Shack in San Francisco. And he signed us up to perform there the same day that I arrived. Cool. Um, Straight into the end? Yeah. Yeah. And because I was away from home and all of that stuff, and I just thought, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we spent the whole day getting it together. And we went and performed this amazing song. It wasn't an amazing performance, but it was a great song. Um, by the attractions called I'm in Love with the German Film Star. It's very weird. (laughs) Okay. Um, Like New Romantic beautiful and that was it I guess I got the bug, the bug straight away I met all of these incredible people that night we had one of those epic nights out unbelievable nights that was a total turning point for me right I also saw a performer at Tranny Shack called Steve Lady and Steve Lady um, sadly passed away a few years ago but she was like a huge inspiration to me because right. I had met and seen drag queens before. At that, before I went to San Francisco, I was working in Mr. Pussy's Cafe Deluxe, okay. which was a late-night cafe that Bono and Gavin Friday had opened on Suffolk Street. Oh. And Mr. Pussy, I don't know if you know who that, that is, but he's a bit of a, a showbiz drag legend. Okay. Um, it was her International place. showbiz or Ireland? She's English, but she's okay. been, she lives in okay. Dublin and she's been around forever. Like, you're a man's owl, you know who she is. Right. Um, because she did all the old working man's clubs and pubs up and down the country way before there was a gay scene sure. or anything. She was your classic cabaret drag queen, you know. Mm. Um, so I've been around a lot of drag, but I just hadn't done anything like that myself. I had only seen Pussy's kind of drag, which was very glamorous and sequiny and lots of like feathers and fake diamonds. And I just was not that kind of person. Okay. So then I'm in San Francisco and I see this creature called Steve Lady who looks like a super androgynous 
model from the 80s, mm. really severe. And she performed Rock and Roll Suicide by David Bowie, which is like one of my all-time favorite songs. And she just has this swagger and edge about her. Mm. And so my perception, she changed completely my perception of what a drag queen was and what you could achieve <laughs> so she, by doing drag. She became like a, not only almost iconic for you and an influence then as well yeah, as you started huge, yeah more than an influence right really just like a slap in the face i met that night some other great performers so all props to them too and uh and made some friendships and met a boy and fell in love and started going to san francisco regularly to do shows and oh. and hang out with drag queens cool. um and that really influenced me and the kind of drag that I've been doing ever since, I suppose. Right, so started to form your approach. So, so like, again, not not that up on on different uh-huh. styles of drag, but there's different there's definitely views different styles. or styles. Is yeah, there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's, there certainly are, and and each drag queen I'd like to think is unique, like a flower, you know. But there's definitely groups. And, okay. And my thing would be, I suppose, gender fuck is a cure a, a term that people use okay. where, which is about being androgynous not being fishy is another term a fishy drag queen is a drag queen that looks like a woman and okay. totally like a woman um, and then there'll be you know a clocky drag queen a clocky drag queen looks like a man like a drag queen with a beard okay. purposely looks like a man right and it goes on and so forth right. there's a lot of it my thing uh, was quite fresh at that time in the 90s <laughs> you know so when I came back to Dublin there were other kinds of drag queens but there really was nothing like what I was doing okay um, which served me well you had a unique selling point I, I suppose did. a USP I <laughs> business lingo there yeah. cool so was it then you started to bring that to the stage and yeah I, I entered the altern- alternative Miss Ireland have you ever heard of yeah, that yeah I've heard of it big yeah. show that uh, used to happen here and, and I was doing bits and pieces in clubs and DJing a bit um, and I entered the alternative Miss Ireland and I came second and I turned that into a, like a big thing I threw a huge strop wow really really did it for fun, okay. like for comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if you've ever been really super disappointed about something and decided to throw a huge strop for comedy, but halfway through throwing this huge comedy strop, it mm. starts to feel kind of real oh. and you lose the control of it somewhere and it goes into this weird middle space where right. it started out as a joke and it doesn't feel like a joke anymore. And, um, and was this the strop you were doing this on front of in front of everybody uh, when I came just second. when you came second okay yeah. and Catherine Lynch won okay she came first alright and we, we worked together still and we we're friends so you no know no grudges held there so no. but we just went through you know we went through that together and um, so that happened and because it happened it sort of gave me this weird status straight away right people I became the villain like the drag villain right and people really liked that I was really lucky I wow. was like it was a good way to play it could have worked <laughs> because against you because I started you. getting gigs yeah based on the fact that I was this alternative angry villain bitchy drag queen that people just like were into so did you build on that persona then I did go with that persona a bit there's always like a softer side to me as a person but I did like go with that like like resting bitch face kind of like fashion model skinny skinny right humour okay you know that humour of being that 
that really skinny, mean, drunk person, you okay. know. Um, and yeah, so I, I bought into that, or I played into that, and it worked out well. And the following year, I went back and entered the Alternative Miss Ireland again because I had to. I had to save sure. face. It was really important. And I won that, and that right. led to me getting my own club night in the George, which just was like one of the worst nights it could have been. It was a Wednesday night. Here, I have this Wednesday night. And, you know, bizarrely, 18 years later, I'm still doing it, still super busy. Cool. I worked really hard at it, don't get me wrong, but yeah. it, it, I never expected on that first Wednesday night that I wandered in there with my yeah. jungle heels and my roadkill <laughs> wig that, you know, that 18 years later... I'd be sitting there with four wardrobes full of drags. Wow. <laughs> you know I mean, just thinking, how did this happen? Mm. Yeah. So from there, I guess if you're doing it 18 years, how has your performance, your style, your persona developed and grown? And never stops changing. I think that you know, there's something about looking at old photographs right from day one, where you can see the DNA is exactly the same. That there's nothing's almost changed. Yeah. I think there's something about drag that expresses so much about who you really are mm. that that's just who you really are right but at the same time i'm one of those people who's really well i'm passionate about what i do i love fashion i love music i love to be entertained so i'm never really rest on my laurels i'm always wearing something new performing something new or trying to learn something new mm. do some new trick yeah so anything from graphics, video, editing, you know, music production, dance steps, sewing, makeup skills. <laughs> like, I'll just keep adding to my arsenal. Right. And that's kind of how I do it because it's genuinely what I enjoy doing. It's mm. not because it's a, it's a business move or it's a, a tactic. Yeah. It's just, I think that's how you get have longevity. It's who you are. Would you look back on one of those pictures 18 years ago and cringe to say, oh, I can't believe I wore that? Or, Maybe or has a little it, bit, yeah? but not so much. The okay. odd time. Considering right, yeah. that there's been so much drag, mine has been more good than bad. I would okay. give myself that. You know, okay. I like clothes. So even if they're dated at the time, they had something going on. Well, <laughs> you give know? yourself the props for that there. Um, so how has things evolved and changed over that period of time? Not just in your line of work but I suppose opportunities have come more towards you in general the whole scene has changed like I'd love to, yeah. to hear kind of the journey from your for perspective and maybe things you've learned along the way there well everything that everything has changed like dramatically and drastically when I first went out as a gay man on the scene in Dublin it was virtually non-existent a couple of very small venues and it was illegal to have sex with a man mm. it was you know, punishable by imprisonment. Yeah, so the psychology all these years later. Yeah. And what I like to call yes equality Ireland, that's my expression for the, the state we live in now. Yeah. Um, is phenomenal. I'll tell you something, it's like totally off the point, but it's it's something that I think expresses uh what I mean to some extent. Um in the recent years a couple of times I've travelled to Donegal town because I have a very dear friend who grew up there and lives there and as a overly flamboyant somewhat privileged maybe a little bit spoiled gay man I felt a little bit unsafe and uneasy at times there mm. even though it's a beautiful town and nothing bad has ever happened to me there right. I just felt judgment you know a mm. lot of it 
Well, I recently went to Donegal Town and it was super sad circumstances to bury my friend who had grown up there. Right. It was one of the saddest things I've ever had to go through. But one of the brightest notes that I took away from it was how different it was to be there. Mm. How different everybody's perception of us mm. was. How we were treated in pubs and in the streets and how we were treated by friends and family of, mm. of friends there. It was unbelievable, mm. the change. And how could like mind-blowing. Did like that change? Embracing yeah. people and having very special bonds with people mm. who I felt, uh, maybe I was wrong, mm. were judging me and had no real interest in me. Yeah. And maybe because of that, my feeling, mm. I was judging them and had very little interest in them too. Right. But I do feel like the psychology of the country changed and it freed people. It wasn't that people are homophobic or people are bigots. It's like people just really a lot of the time are ignorant, mm. really don't know better or have never been told better. In fact, I've been told the opposite. Yeah. I've been raised in maybe in, un, under the shadow of the Catholic Church or have been raised by people who don't know any better either mm. or been raised by people who are gay because that happens a lot yeah. and don't ever admit to themselves that they're gay yeah. who are bitter mm. and resentful and the last thing they want is their own kids to be happy and gay yeah. because they didn't choose that for themselves right. there's so many reasons why people can be left in the dark about diversity mm -hmm. and something incredible about the referendum was there was nowhere to hide anymore there was no rug to sweep anything under there was no back of the drawer mm. there, was, there was nothing down the back of the couch yeah. everybody just had to pull out every trick because it was a straight on cat fight yeah. <laughs> yes versus no right. and the people considered the evidence and the people chose mm -hmm. and they backed me me personally mm -hmm. and everyone like me and it means the world to me right. but you can feel the change in the streets yeah you can feel the homophobic kids on the street who call you queer who still might do it mm. you can feel the fear from them right. that they're going to get heard they're going to get seen they're going to get caught mm. when i was growing up they weren't afraid yeah they weren't afraid they knew if some teacher heard them they pretend they didn't hear them. Yeah. They knew if the man inside was boiling his cap and he heard them, he wouldn't come out. Mm. It's not like that anymore. Mm. You know? Do you think there was a, s a string of events that led to the referendum and the yes vote there? But like, what was there any kind of things that might jump out over the last number of 10 years that you might have said, that was a, a mini turning point or that was something else? Yeah, maybe? the recession. Okay. I think that the people of this country got sick of being preached to by governments right. and churches. I mm. think the recession and the corruption, mm. I think that is what did it. Mm. I think people looked around they thought, you see these homosexuals over here having a nice time, having a lovely parade, doing these amazing bingo shows in the George, raising money to take care of their own, raising money to take care of other people. Yeah. You see them? I'm with them. Yeah, see yeah. these scaldy bankers over here or these horrible murdering pedophile priests yeah. see them I'm not with them mm. see all their wealth and everything that goes with it I want no part of it mm. see all their joy over here yeah. at the gay pride parade I want to wave that flag I feel like yeah that 
middle class morality just got washed away down the new like water system <laughs> you know yeah. along with all of the new yeah. well, like water meters <laughs> yeah yeah that's the only thing that's going to be counting on those water meters is the bitter tears of no voters yeah. and the bitter hopes of greedy bankers yeah. as they wash down the drains. I know I'm just like being preachy now, no, but no, I do no, think fine. like it's more than anything, I hear people talk theories about what changed or what culturally changed. I really believe that the recession is really what changed mm. people's. People were ignorant, happy rich, spoiled, ignorant, greedy, didn't care mm. if other people had equality or not, as long as they had enough. Mm. When suddenly they didn't have enough and they were worried about their own families not having enough, mm. suddenly they care whether people have equality or not. Mm. You know, it makes sense all of a sudden equality when you realize that the powers that be are corrupt. Yeah. Well, it's all that all you probably have some sort of connection or control in is is you know your own morality and your own views of the world and your own equality and how how you see things yeah. as opposed to being greedy trying to earn more money and then when it's taken away from you you, you realize that you probably haven't you haven't that control you know yeah um, so would you say even during the recession you know the gay community with the parades thrived th- thrived and there was a positivity that was unaffected by the recession. Well, I think what was hard for the gay community is we, we are known as being, you know, party animals and we come together in this very celebratory energy. Yeah. And what was hard initially about the recession was people didn't have money to go out anymore. <laughs> so that really slowed down for a little while. Yeah. But then what came next was this idea of entertainment became way more popular. So for drag, that was great. For, for stand-up comedy, that was great. I know a lot of people that worked out well for. Mm-hmm. I shifted like most of my focus to just being on performing right. when the recession happened because it was the easiest way to make money. Yeah. And, um, and people were probably willing to spend money to make themselves feel better. People exactly would want to go out and have a good time and know there was something on yeah, when they got like, there, not just randomly go out to a pub and hope something's happening. Or just get drowned in the bottom of it last morning and complaining about how bad things were maybe yeah. as well. Yeah. So if you could present something and go, okay, we're doing this fashion show or we're doing this pole dancing night, we're doing whatever. Mm. People really appreciate that. That in itself kind of ignites a fire in you that makes you work harder because you're inspired again. Yeah. So for me, in the long run, looking back on it now, it was quite a good thing. And I think that applies to a lot of people in the gay scene because, um, yeah, there was like a refocus there. And I feel like the gay community really thrived because the gay community, talking in terrible stereotypes, but there's no evidence in my world to prove it, are leaning towards being quite creative a lot of the time or, or into creative pursuits right. and arts really tend to flourish in those times mm. you know when they're challenged so I feel like that's what happened here that the arts flourished okay. you know and that before that maybe things in, in nightclub world or in cabaret world had gotten a little bit uh, safe mm. and bland mm. so things opened up further in that area as yeah, a result I think people become more radicalised and a bit more political when the shit hits the fan economically mm. especially the way that it did here I mean you could just see how horrific the whole scam the whole property scam has been mm. and that people are still living in huge debt and devastation because of it mm. still like you know it's such an injustice 
yeah yeah let's uh let's not go down that rabbit hole uh too too uh-huh. deeply like um that's what he said last night <laughs> from your from your own development as an artist over the last number of years how, what what stands out and how maybe could you tie that to you like some of your your own values as a person or, or what uh-huh. the, the connections are there be interested to hear I suppose a few things stand out. Like I think that when you first do drag, whether you realise it or not, that you're creating another persona to escape into. And that can often be a sign that what you've been through or, or how you feel about yourself is not the healthiest, is not the best place. Hmm. So it's a sort of a form of empowering yourself. Right. So I guess my first foray was about that, empowering myself. And I, I guess the presentation that I created was quite aggressive and, and rock and roll and a real fighter had a real fighter spirit right. about about Veda um, out of necessity just a need to survive I was like horribly horribly bullied all through my childhood and my teens and there's a lot of sad stories in there you know there's a lot of, of, of hard hardship and drag, I, I think, really was just a way of me learning to love myself again. Or maybe even for the first time. And that in itself is an undertaking and a journey. And at the risk of sounding a little bit too RuPaul, <laughs> it's worked out for me. I think that I'm quite well-rounded now. I'm a lot less flappable, a lot less aggressive. And I think a lot of it comes from working out my demons, mm-hmm. expressing myself. We can go back and talk about the four-year-old boy in lipstick. You know what I mean? That mm. feeling that, that came full circle mm. and that he has been fully realized. Mm. And now he sits here and he can sit down and sew himself a beautiful princess skirt and wear it around his own goddamn house all day long if he wants and then wear it into town and wear it on stage and dance around in it and get paid (laughs) you know for the privilege I feel really really good about that I've softened a lot over time Veda has definitely softened and the biggest change in recent years for me has been I was like the queen of the torch song I was very much that dramatic queen who okay. would act out a song. And I had suffered so much disappointment and heartbreak over the years that I had made that my own. Right. I could put all of myself into it. And then I met an incredible man and fell in love. And I'd been really, really lucky. And I know it. Cool. And a lot of that stuff lost its appeal for me in the most natural way. Right. It doesn't feel like singing about being sad anymore. Mm. And I started to choose things that were much more upbeat or just much more vague, general, mm. you know, that allowed me to have a freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My theme isn't, I am that woman scorned yeah. anymore. My you, theme is, I feel good. Did things you notice work out that, well. Did you notice that change happening? Yeah. I felt it bit. started to happen gradually, but then yeah. once I clocked it, right. I embraced it 100%. Okay. And I went 100% that way and didn't do anything at all, torch song or sad or anything to do with heartbreak 
at all right. for years. And then, to be honest, recently my friend Alan passed away and I did do a few of his favourite songs okay. from my catalogue, right. which were very sad songs. But right. it felt appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like there's a place for that stuff and that stuff is beautiful mm. and it's appropriate to feel sad about something that is so sad. Mm. But it's not appropriate to feel sad all the time. And there were times in my life where I definitely felt sad all the time. So I acted out being sad all the time. And that mm. was my act. Always with a bit of humor. Kind of like a good dose of fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that that's what camp humor is about, mostly. It's about turning something that's sad into something that's fun. Mm. Interesting. So you've been thinking about your journey. And now when you perform... Do you almost like have a greatest hits of your back catalogue that taps into different points in your journey and emotions that come no, with it? No, nothing like I that. I don't. Like I have, an, I have, a, I have a back catalogue for sure, and I also have a few what people would consider to be my classic performances that people like to people people. No, but people ask for or like to see me do, and that I do fairly regularly. But something that I, I've. Uh, really push myself to do is not to get stuck in a rut and repeat stuff. So mostly of a Wednesday night, anything that I'm performing, most of it I've been doing for maybe the last month. Right. If you come back in a month, something new. It'll all be new. It's just how I keep it entertaining sure. for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also if you're lucky enough to have a lot of repeat customers you need to give them something else. Yeah. You know? And luckily enough, when I then do something that's considered to be a classic number by me, like a Spanish Train by Christa Berg is the one that people always are asking for me to do. And if I bust it out every few weeks, they're super appreciative yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and excited, you know? Play the classics as well. Like, yes, so, yeah. I tend to keep them more like your, your granny's good china that I'm yeah. going to get out for a special occasion. You mentioned... Uh, your granny again there yeah, you so said you were going to talk about, about that because I think it'd be nice to see you know everybody probably is shaped and formed by certain influences and mentors and people that just bounce off be it consistently over a period of time or you might meet somebody one night that gives you one piece of advice that helps things in direction be cool if you could talk about a few along the way there sure. your granny would be one first maybe well I'm going to talk about I guess then my grandmother first Nora um, because well, one of the things that occurred to me when her name came up earlier was um, about this idea of being 1% better. Yeah. My gran was very into sewing and fashion, and she used it as a way to get out of, I'm sorry, granddad, but out of a kind of abusive relationship. Uh, she went back to college mm. after learning to sew, and she learned to do fashion design in wow. Grafton Academy, and she left my granddad um, and turned her little sewing business into a, into a clothes factory Brilliant. and had a couple of boutiques mm. and made some money and retired young to Lanzarote where she bought herself a bar. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, she was a very, very Living the dream. smart woman. Yeah, yeah. All on her own steam. I know that she shook down my, my dad and my uncle's for a little bit of money at the start you know when she was trying to sneakily okay 
get out from under my granddad's control. The plan to get her. And yeah, between that and whatever she could squirrel away from the housekeeping, she mm. managed to get herself a sewing machine and the skills that she needed, and she Brilliant. made herself a business. She, funnily enough, she bought um, an apartment without telling him. She bought an apartment for herself and she smuggled out piece by piece all of her favorite things out of their house. Wow. And she was replacing vases and statues and things with crap right. slowly over time. Mm-hmm. Like, so she would take all of her favorite Neo and Ladro and these kind of Spanish porcelains that she liked and put in these like drunkards with tankards, loads yeah. of them. Drunkards with tankards everywhere, barrels, mm. men with red Masculous noses and beer like, yeah. bellies. And it was her own, like, it was her sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that when my granddad finally realized that she left him, because she'd done it slowly and slyly, not only had she gone, but he was surrounded by all these sort of figurines. And he of didn't notice them starting to show up. Of drunks, of clowns. They're all in my uncle's house right now. Right. Like, my granddad died and they became heirlooms, but for the funniest reason. Right. And they're all in my uncle's house right now, but my granny told me that she was, you know, she was the same, it was her last subversive message of humor to there, him. Yeah. was like, there you go. Now drink yourself to death, you clown. <laughs> <laughs> Slow and calculated there. Yeah, she's very smart. And she's quite cold, I suppose, in ways. A lot of people describe her like that, but I think that was because she was ahead of her time. Um. Uh, for a woman, especially, to have her own business as, as a mom and yeah, yeah. to leave a man yeah. on her own steam and go on to have her own business. She sure. never retired. She worked into her late 80s in her own business wow. seven days a week, wow. which is phenomenal. Yeah. Like she's really a hero of mine. Well, she's passionate about what she was doing, obviously. And, you know, if, if she's working till into that age, uh, it's obviously not like work for her, I'd imagine. You know, yeah, no, she loved it. Yeah, she yeah. loved it. She loved people in yeah. a weird way. For someone who's quite closed down, yeah, right. she enjoyed company. Yeah. She just didn't like people asking her questions about herself. Right. But uh, but what I was going to say about her lesson, one of the many lessons, um, was that she used to dress up, like really dress up, in the craziest way sometimes. Okay. But always with a great sense of fun. Mm. And it's something I definitely have learned from her that influences my drag for sure. Right. But it's also something that I've learned from her uh, that influences my life every day. Mm. I think if you feel brave enough, if you feel strong enough in yourself to put on something fun and jazzy and camp, I know it's not everybody's bag, but if it's your bag Mm. and you feel like you can do it, you bring so much joy to the people that you meet and people that see you. Yeah. And yes, there's begrudges and there's haters and you always have to take shit for doing it. We all know it. But the joy that you bring and the energy that you bring is so much more beneficial than the the crap that you have to take for doing it. And my granny was that person who would wear something really weird Mm. and own it. And nothing would faze her. No one's judgment fazed her, but she gave so many people joy by doing it with yeah. her weird dresses, her weird hats, yeah. bizarre—I mean, bizarre stuff that she would make herself. Cool. Um, and yeah, my grand as well was swimming. You know, in her eighties, she was swimming in, in like red bikini bottoms, topless, in the beach on the beach in, in the Canaries, Canaries not giving like a flying freak yeah. about it. She had low. Pogues t-shirts because my uncle Frank used to manage the Pogues right. she, and Thin Lizzy so she had an army of Pogues and Thin Lizzy t-shirts she was big fans of them mm. and 
her daytime wardrobe was like wrap around red sunglasses, a red bikini bottom and a post t-shirt with a belt as if it was a dress. She was quite small. Right. And that was her daytime attire in the, in the Canaries. Mm. And in the night, she used to wear things like detachable collars like a stripper would wear. You know, like a, like a collar with a dog collar or something like that. Yeah. And cuffs and a dress and right. maybe a man's suit jacket or, mm. you know, or some, some weird, huge plastic earrings. She just had a fearless, Right sense of fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually nothing to do with fashion. People would be mean about her style. Yeah. But it's because they didn't have any style. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But you obviously got highly influenced through through her, right? Through, Passionate yeah. about it. Like yeah. loved, loved it. But I think that, you know, you go through phases in your life where you feel good about yourself and you go through phases where you don't. And one thing for me, and it may not be true of everybody, uh, when I feel good about myself, that side of me is so switched on mm. and there's nothing shallow or vain about that it's not about how much money I have or earned or yeah. spent on my clothes it's really not about that it's about how brave I feel yeah. how comfortable in my own skin how well I know myself mm. that's what inspires me to kind of wear weird stuff mm. and when I go through phases where I'm not feeling good I know that oh, I lose all of that colour and excitement that mm. you know people people all people dumb themselves down in situations where they don't feel good about showing yeah. their true selves and I think that that's a real shame and it's just something that you know that Nora has given me is that and when my father was terminally ill like when he knew he was going to die mm. and she was his mother he started to dress more fabulously right. in the last few months of his life Right. than he ever had since he was in his 20s. Mm. Um, my dad's name was Eamon. I remember looking at uh, pictures of him as a young man when he was courting my mom. He had like all of these cute cloth caps and iron jumpers and high-waisted pants and just right. kind of cute looks. Yeah. Kind of beatnik and of the time. Mm. And just before he passed away, he started wearing the same kind of cute hats and weird jumpers and funny mm. little looks. And it really resonated with me mm. that this thing had changed about him. Yeah. Where this drag, I'm going to call it, that he had been wearing of the appropriate office wear or the appropriate fishing wear or the appropriate golf wear yeah. suddenly was not important to him. Yeah. And that his personality, which he was kind of hiding, was a little bit jaunty and had a little bit more flair to it. And of course it did, considering who his mother was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a man, I think that's something that he had shut down. He shut down. And did you talk to him about that in the I last I did, point? because uh, funnily enough, he did what he called drag just before he died. He did a version of drag. Right. And he invented this character called Father Jarleth. Right. And he went to Cleary's and he bought a proper priest's suit, wear, collar, the lot. Right. He had old false teeth that he hadn't worn in years. He lost loads of weight because of chemotherapy. Right. And he got a, a grey toupee from somewhere. And he put <laughs> some glasses. And he dressed himself up on a couple of occasions as this priest called Father Jarlet. Yeah. And he... Um, and this is a persona he just created himself. Like. Performances. Mm. Gave a speech giving saying grace or blessing people was his thing 
And a few people who saw him, like, they just would never have recognized him in a million years because mm. of the illness as well. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. kind of, of unrecognizable anyway. Yeah. But it was bizarre and it gave him so much joy. And he did it as, I think, as the same reason I did it, to empower himself. Yeah. But also as a sort of a gift to me. Right. As a, a fond farewell. Yeah. To just say, to call it his drag especially, he chose the word, right. you know. And to talk to me about it a lot and get excited about it, cool. what he's going to wear and what he's going to do. Yeah, I think. And my my father suffered quite a bit of abuse at the hands of the Christian brothers who educated him. At one point, he went into a seminary to become a priest, really to get an education. Mm. To tell you the truth, because that happened a lot in those days, though. I think you know things weren't good between my grandparents, mm. and so his options weren't great. Yeah. So he went into a seminary and that had some bad consequences and not good things happened. And my grandmother, luckily, you know, uh, was a ferocious woman. Yeah. And went in there and kicked up all kinds of blue murder. And, uh, and my dad, I don't think, ever went to mass ever again, ever, ever. Maybe the right. old funeral, you know, but never, yeah. ever again. Or my granny, I think. You know, my, my grandfather, on the other hand, was a proper bastard for most of his life. Right. <laughs> Fun, but you know, a prick. But in his latter years, he went to Mass. He was one of the people who went to Mass every single day, every morning, and collected the offerings and did all this stuff. Right. Out of guilt. Out Very of sheer guilt. Catholic shame. Because my grandma was the opposite. Yeah. She had tried to toe the line, yeah. and once it got thrown back in her face, she was like, no, never. Right. She wouldn't hear you say a good word about the priest ever. She wouldn't. She couldn't. She'd spit. She yeah. couldn't. But anyway, that's because of what I think had happened to my dad, and I think that you know that my dad invented this character yeah. to work through his demons right. just before he sadly yes. passed away. Mm. There's something really heartening about it. There's yeah. something really good about he it. He worked through it, and it's still a theme, I suppose, of what we're talking about is this power of dressing yourself of expressing yourself mm. whatever way that is but in this case through clothes yeah. that can be so healing and I think for my gran getting out from under my granddad and having her own business gave her a huge amount of swagger mm. and so she expressed herself right. like through her clothes I think for my dad he had been always so responsible he had his own business and he was pretty successful and he'd been an amazing provider mm. and, and a really great friend to a lot of of, of people right it's a very popular man okay. his popularity almost came with a lot of compromises right you know and then in the end that one of the things he didn't do anymore was compromise you know with didn't anybody. give a shit anymore didn't give a shit anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. and the thing that came out was this this swag mm. and drag that my granny had that mm. I have and that it turns out of all people your dad had my dad had yeah it's <laughs> funny just one thing I picked up so I like to I, I, I like my clothes as well. I, I bought a pair, a couple of pairs of cowboy boots when I was in Nashville. I love a cowboy. Uh, yeah, and uh, I wore them out the other night. And it, as you said, like when you're in the zone, you're much more inclined to put them on and wear them out and be, you know, in a, in a good sp- space. Whereas, you know, Sunday and today, there's no chance I would just because I wouldn't be in the same mindset. But I was wondering, have you tried to, if you're not in that mindset, but still tried to put on your costume? Does it? take you out of that space and put you in a better space yeah absolutely it does yeah i'm fortunate so far as i don't have any choice because i, I yeah, work yeah, yeah. so much that i i have to be in drag to work 
and yeah even if you weren't feeling it it will always transform you okay. the transformation will transform you right but I guess what I mean is more like going even just going to the corner shop yeah. you know for a pint of milk right. it's the day where it's the you know more that stuff right like I can access that fabulous side of drag easily as part of my work but I can't always access that fabulous side of myself in my day to day life yeah and it feels really good when you can and it's something I suppose that I would like to encourage people to do because it's one of those things that is so small and it's not about fashion and it's not about money it's not and anybody listening who thinks it is you're just making excuses you're yeah. just actually just blocking yourself because it's not about that I'm not even making judgments on what people wear or whether they look beautiful or not mm. I'm just talking about that feeling confident enough to really express who you are like you get a lot of crappy comments that really always amuses me from young men who are walking down the street literally wearing polyester tracksuits that's fine mm. wear what you want mm. A tracksuit exists for a reason. Yeah. Active wear slash sports wear <laughs> yeah, exists yeah. for a reason. And and it's appropriate for that. And it also is part of hip hop culture and all kinds of cultures. Yeah. And I'm not saying I I've seen people look fabulous in tracksuits. Yeah. I'm not judging that. What I'm, all I'm trying to express is that when you boil something down to its most basic unit, if it's made of polyester and it doesn't have buttons, zips or lapels. Right. you know what I mean yeah. and it's two pieces a top and bottom and they're the same colour and they match each other mm. it's as but as basic bitch wear as you can get <laughs> it literally is the cost 20 cents to make yeah like washes well wears well <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean like it has no value there's tracksuits like that filling up landfills there's no identity to it I world. guess right and it strips you of your identity. Yeah. It's like choosing to be in prison when you're not in prison. Yeah. And you see these groups of guys with no self-confidence, dressed in identical prison uniforms, wandering around the street, acting aggressive and mean to anybody who mm. has a bit of flair and mm. chooses to look a bit fabulous. Mm. And they feel justified in that mindset mm. because it's like we're doing what's expected of us. It's safer. We're like it's, ourselves down. it's a safety zone that are in, you know, comfort we zone. Whatever. Who do we think we are? Nobody is the answer. Mm. We think we're nobody. So who do you think you are? Like they resent you yeah. for it. And I just feel like that is so unhealthy. I feel like there are so many challenges in the world for all kinds of groups. Yeah. I feel like uh, there's something missing when it comes to the education of young men gay okay. or straight right emotional education emotional intelligence of it right there's yeah. something yeah. missing not obviously not across the board but I've interacted with enough young men to know yeah. <laughs> that there's a problem yeah well again it's not taught in schools right so you're based on your IQ and your rote learning and it's out of a book but there is very little if anything and I've talked to teachers you know on this um, and there's nothing looking at the self-awareness or you know their um, ability to empathize to, to build relationships 
I don't think that's part of the curriculum. That's something you are lucky to ha- have a, a predisposition towards or unlucky against. And, yeah. and and that's a nice part of the coaching part of what I'm fascinated about is emotional intelligence and EQ. And that's something that you can actually change. Whereas IQ, you can't really change. It's pretty much set from uh-huh. a young age. But EQ is very malleable and it can move and be improved through, through mindfulness, through, you know, just opening up and encouraging people to talk about how they feel and, and stuff like that so no it's it's uh it's it's probably the you know the 80 20 rulers 80 percent of people probably are following the crowd or following each other and then there's the, the the smaller percentage standing outside the circle and whatnot so yeah like i think if there's nothing else as well to just to take that point away to people it's okay to actually take that chance look that bit different try something different you know so yeah essential like yeah. not even just okay really sure. think essential like i was really good to hear you talk about it and, and use the the words emotional intelligence because i hadn't quite put my finger on it yeah but that is what i was reaching for because i have put up with a lot of crap over the years and still do like on a regular basis whether in or out of drag on the streets of dublin working or not working just from mostly teenage to young men mm. certain swagger a certain type yeah and it pains me I don't feel victimised mm. I can handle myself mm. I did feel victimised for a long time but I don't really anymore mm. because it pains me to see them in that state yeah I just feel so disappointed for them yeah and for their families Mm-hmm. not because they might be a bit homophobic or that they feel so entitled that they can shout out things in the street and just because of the way they look present themselves how little respect you must have for yourself to conduct yourself mm-hmm. in that way yeah. you know and this whole banding together and needing each other not one of them stepping away from the group and saying shut up fool when mm-hmm. they're all thinking it mm-hmm. they're all thinking god this is mortifying yeah it's really, I, I don't want to sound like judgmental about it, but listening to you talk about it even made me think like, yes, like there really needs to be some kind of emotional awareness workshops. Yeah. Maybe we need to send drag queens into schools to play sports yeah. <laughs> with, you know, with football teams yeah. or anything kind of radical just to go, you don't all have to be the same. Yeah. You don't all have to be masculine. Mm-hmm. all the time mm. or perfect all the time yeah it's really hard to see so much suicide amongst young men in this country my younger brothers friends around their age seem to be like guys in their 20s 20 to 30 just seem more vulnerable to me mm-hmm. than maybe girls of that age and maybe gays of that age even though there's huge numbers of suicide amongst gays there's also a lot of organisations trying to work and support and reach out I'm not as aware of that going on in the the wider community yeah 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 and I feel like a lot of what's going on I'm not putting blame on any particular section Mm. but I feel like a lot of stuff that comes out of that like sexting like cyberbullying, abuse on the streets, mm-hmm. alcohol abuse. A lot of these issues come from this gang pack mentality mm. where there's just the values. There's the values that are missing there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they're just, 
in that safety zone, I think, and you you know you would see it in every community, in every part of the country, and probably in every country, it's uh, it's following the herd mentality and it's a, f- a fear of standing out. Like so, I, I think there is a probably a bit more trying to be done about it, and it does tie into mental health awareness and trying to talk about how you feel and how it's okay to you know struggle with certain things like you mentioned some of the people that might be out of the kids on the street i would say there's a there's an ignorance there you know that they're not aware they don't know what they don't know in some ways and they think it's okay to do that but they're not maybe just not opening up to, to that but that's probably we could go talking about that but i do think you know it seems to be clear from your perspective as well that uh, it's something that should be progressed in a in a conversation so so cool. yeah it yeah. just seems kind of like yeah it, it seems so desnecessario as they say in portuguese it just seems so unnecessary to have people you know in this day and age catcalling mm. at, and mostly at gays and girls mm. probably yeah it's yeah. really yeah ungentlemanly that might sound very old-fashioned to no. me, but I just feel like there's something missing there right. in the education, in the schooling, in the way that, like, all teenagers, I'm sure, have challenges. But it just seems to me, when I'm exposed on the streets to groups of young people, there's something kind of sad about the demeanor of a lot of the teenage boys that I see. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's a point well made, you know. Um, hopefully people will listen to it and see what we can do about it. I don't know if there's an immediate solution, but it certainly goes back to education, I think. And I'm trying to open up. Yeah. All of us need to do it, trying to open up. It's really good to say hello to people if you can. If you can actually manage to say hello, it's great. Uh, Neighbours, people that you see every day. My father was very big on that and really pushed us. And it's awkward when you're a teenager to be constantly getting pushed to say hello to people. You yeah, yeah. fucking say hello to people because you're spotty and you're too tall to get <laughs> on your back. Yeah. But you have to do it. Yeah. Or holding doors open for people mm-hmm. sounds like so old-fashioned. But it's these little things that break yeah. down walls between people so you can talk to your neighbours. So that if your yeah. neighbour's husband dies, you can stop and give your condolences because that's a respectful thing to do. Yeah. But unless you have enough respect to say hello when you see them every day, yeah. you can't make that leap yeah. and suddenly be there for someone yeah. if you're not open to them in the little ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's that's something that we could all focus on. Yeah. Just uh, bringing chivalry back or just being more polite and it starts Humble. there with connecting, yeah. Humble's a word that I really love. I don't think I understood what it meant until I got, got a, bit, a bit older. Yeah, you know, yeah, to yeah. actually be a little humble, mm-hmm. to be nice, yeah. nice person. <laughs> and it's nice, but it does feel good to be nice as well, feels right? You know, great. Like, it feels great. I did a month. I kind of month this year every month. I'm trying to do a self challenge and to be gr- to express gratitude every day for a month. I overtly did it uh, for for April and it was great it was just you know the odd text to somebody you mightn't have yeah. talked to in a while just to be nice it, it comes back feels good you know yeah. so it's free to do it as well um unless your 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 text uh, phone bills go go through the roof but um no i think we're we're about an hour in so i think we've got through some good stuff 
I'd like to go through some maybe questions. Is there anything specific you'd like to talk about? Normally, kind of wrap, not wrap, start wrapping up, going through a kind of a number of questions. Just we talked about work life balance, you know, setting goals, things like that. Is there anything else yes. in relation that you'd like to kind of touch on? There sure is. Um, because just because I'm inspired by my companion here, I'm sitting here beside my baby, my hero. Been very I'm quiet since I up. came here as well. So this is Ziggy. And he's my, my dog. He's yeah. like 10 years old. Um, and even though he looks very cute and sprightly, I've had him a while and he's getting on a bit. He's nice and grumpy right. at this stage <laughs> in his life and very spoiled. And I suppose what I want to talk about was just the idea of like learning to love, you know, really learning to love. Mm-hmm. I got Ziggy at a very weird time in weird circumstances. My niece at, uh, was very sick at the time uh, with cancer and my sister, her mom, bought Ziggy for her okay. at the end of this stem cell treatment that she went through. Whoa. Luckily, she has recovered. Whoa. She's a teenager Brilliant. now and she's a gymnast. And amazing. Whoa. She's not just a recovered, she's like a Wonder Woman. But, uh, but she's stem- a very sick little girl. And, and The stem cells must have been extremely they were trial at that stage was it they, they were actually came from wonder woman right. we okay. actually got in touch you got in touch with you must get some woman. of them all right <laughs> share them around <laughs> yeah yeah and, and because of that for two reasons because of sexual discrimination my niece did not want a boy dog she wanted a girl dog okay and i can relate to that since i was a kid okay the opposite yeah <laughs> but you know but because of that and also because the doctors weren't really keen on her having a dog so soon after being sick. Yeah. She was still in hospital at the time. My sister was super stressed out. What am I going to do with this dog? She spent a lot of money on the dog. What am I going to do with this dog? And just on an instinct, without even thinking about it, I said, oh, I'll take the dog. I hadn't had a dog before. I wasn't looking to have a dog. But here he is. Suddenly he's my, he's my dog. Mm. And he's adorably cute. And I didn't really know how to take care of him initially, so I guess I just brought him everywhere and carried him everywhere more right. than anything because I never really had a dog. And yeah, a little yeah. cute dog. Yeah. And it made him incredibly soft-natured, like right. a total baby. He right, was right, right. babies more than most Over-pampered. dogs, I suppose. Yeah. But it's made him really, really loving. Right. And at that time, I was living here on my own. And I was single. And I was a bit of a club kid, still. Maybe an Asian club kid. And... Suddenly I had responsibility yeah. outside of myself. I was going to so say I that, was yeah. going to be out all day or out all night. I had to go home. I had to go home at some point, mm. feed the dog, walk the dog. I had to go home and sleep with the dog, take care of the dog, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really changed me. Brilliant. I never had someone, even though I had boyfriends and stuff, I never had someone who just adored me unconditionally. Right. I never like had someone to cuddle with consistently every single night for 10 years. Yeah. I didn't really have anyone depending on me, okay. including me. Even yeah. I didn't feel like I could depend on me. Yeah. But this little creature needed me. And it just made me much softer, much kinder person mm. very quickly. So I recommended to my friend Panty, Rory, to get a dog. Right. She is cold and callous like me. <laughs> no, right. I'm just okay. kidding, Rory. No, but she's like fairly autistic. We call her the Tin Man, you know, like from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. She doesn't have a heart. And, <laughs> and so she, at that time, was particularly Tin Man-esque. Hey, girl, follow that yellow brick road. So I suggested to her, for exactly those reasons, I explained it to her just like that. It was like, you just need to get over yourself. Yeah. Love something more than you love yourself. Yeah. Have some responsibility. 
And she got a dog, and I have to say, I think she would agree with me. Like that, Brilliant. it really grounded her and made her develop a softer side to herself. Yeah. And so, one thing that I would like to recommend to people who are emotionally stunted or have been through a lot in their lives or not, if you're in any way interested in having a dog or a cat, maybe you're a cat person or a pet, and maybe you're someone who doesn't have many attachments, no kids or partner or whatever. Yeah. Do not be afraid to be labeled a crazy cat lady or, you know, yeah, or to yeah, be yeah. That, that person with the pooch, the spoiled, pampered pooch. Yeah. The, the animals just love to be loved. Sure. But they give so much love in return. Mm. And for me, someone who maybe had a lot of issues as a, as a kid and a lot of like, uh, a lot of insecurities, this one constant relationship. Yeah has been so incredibly healing Excellent. for me. I don't know if I would have been the person that met and fell in love with my husband if I hadn't met and fallen in love with the dog first. Cool. Because I was a very different person back right, then. Right, right. You know? So, yeah. Like, I wasn't very anchored in any way. Right. So, it's like, I love dogs. I just, after buying a house, I'm going to be moving in there on my own soon enough. Um, so, I've always wanted to, to get one. But Yay. there's always been that struggle of oh fuck if I have to travel for work for a uh-huh. week or two it's kind of been it's an I'm essentially making excuses as well because uh-huh. I think if if uh, if you really want it I think it, it's 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 worth putting you know putting that in for so it's timely that you you remind me about that because I'm looking to get a a pug actually that's uh, that's right. kind of what I want okay. like. <laughs> but uh, the thing about it too is there's an awful lot of facilities now like babysitting dog walking there really is yeah. My my brother and future sister-in-law just got this beautiful dog, uh, Hello Floyd, and they are both working. So there, oh, there he goes. Oh. Those, uh, the, their situation is very different to mine, but they have a kennel, like yeah. a, a, I don't know what do you call Dog, it, doggy like daycare. kindergarten? Yeah, 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 doggy daycare, that's so it. So one of the f- guests that I've recorded a few weeks ago, and she's probably wondering why I haven't put the show out yet, is a lady in Cork called Nancy Creedon. And she's a dog behavioralist and she's beyond like the TV on the uh-huh. Saturday or midweek shows talking about dogs. And we recorded a podcast in her doggy daycare and there's dogs barking in the background for pretty much the duration. But she's been really successful setting up a few uh, doggy daycares in Cork. Highly ambitious lady. Uh-huh. Really good, interesting story. We talk about dog psychology and things like that so i'll put that up in the next week or two you right. should listen to it but uh it's it is kind of interesting that the, that ties into what we're just talking about as well so dogs is a one percent better tip for people to yeah to, pets yeah pets, or pets hats hats my too. okay like elaborate on hats okay accessories back to the fashion thing right i think hats i think people are scared of hats a lot of people are scared of hats okay I I wore a hat today, didn't I? I had one of these with me today, but yeah, just more of a baseball cap. Well, this funny thing about hats is like they can be disguises or they can be like attention grabbers, fascinators is the term that people use, you know, and they can play either role in your wardrobe like very well. But I feel like hats are would be a a top tip that I would give to anybody. I just feel like um, there's a certain amount of confidence that it takes to wear a nice hat, whether it's to a party or out for the day or to the races or whatever. Yeah. And that people shy away from it mm. out of a fear of attracting attention to themselves mm. and this fear of people judging them. 
Mm. Not everybody, obviously, but yeah. a lot of people. That's why we don't see them so much on our high streets and on yeah. our day-to-day life, you know? Yeah. And it's one thing that I would really like to see more of because I feel personally, and I know from talking to other people around me, that it's really one of those things that can really uh, help you with your self-esteem. Right. Is to up the ante a little bit and maybe adopt a bit of a hat game. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, in Nashville, I got a nice cowboy hat as yeah, well. So, see, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that, I mean. That's, that's what you have to do. Complete like that. If I go to on holiday and wear, I would totally have my eye out for a fun hat yeah. to bring back because it just brings the spirit of the place. Yeah. And you'll get what I mean then, maybe, about the cowboy hat. Like, when do you get to wear your cowboy hat? Well, I wore the boots the other night and I wore my belt that I bought over there as well, but I didn't wear the hat. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it would have to be to a, to an event as a opposed festival. to a normal a festival. Yeah. It would be absolutely perfect. Like a, So, yeah, there was a country music festival on in the Midlands. Maybe during the summer you go to that, you wear your hat. So you, you want to tie in with the theme of the day, but yes. uh, but that's what it's there for. It's it's there for those go-to days. That's uh, exactly If I wore it out on Cork on a Friday night, I'd lose it. If somebody would steal it anyway. So, yeah, but it's there for it. enjoy it. Yeah, well. exactly. You sound like a, a guy that doesn't have any fears. Is there anything you fear? Um, anything that that yeah, pre- I mean, or does it prevent you from doing something? You know. Well, there's a couple of things that I really have fear. I live in fear of the dog getting sick okay. and passing away because he's getting older. Right. I live in fear of that. It's one of those places that my mind goes that really just spins me out. Okay. I try not to live in fear of, but it's a it's a dark thought if that haunts me mm. that same thought magnified huge is the fear of my mother passing right having lost one parent you just become so much more invested in your remaining parent mm-hmm. and that's like probably my this is all very morbid but my other fear mm. and then beyond that of course my husband like I would really hope to die before my husband Okay. If we're going to put all our fears oh, on the table, okay. I would really hope not to live through losing him yeah. that way. Because A, because I'm like 15 years older than him, like significantly older. And B, because of the heartbreak, the pain, mm. you know? Mm. I just feel like uh, if, 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 you know, if the gods are smiling on me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like to go first and my fear would be something happening to him at a young age something happening that like to his health that that's right. something that I could do about it I'd be yeah. much more in fear of that happening than in fear for my own health yeah I don't really worry about that right not that person okay no I, I didn't mean to take to, to change the mood asking about fear but I think when people talk about fears it's that the, the other angle of it is how do you how do you deal with those fears or is there like techniques or tools and meditation is something that i talk to people about a lot i do a bit of meditation mindfulness myself how do you manage <coughs> those fears keep them from overcoming you or kind of you know getting hold of personally i think i sit with them a bit maybe more than a lot of people mm. like that i actually allow myself to think about it not in a morbid way right but that i think a lot of people or i do sometimes too you push away the things that you're afraid of and don't really think about them in any detail mm. and in a way don't deal they with them surface they're almost phantoms yeah and it's more overwhelming yeah, yeah yeah but if you actually have some sort of almost emotional 
to-do list in relation to them where you work your way through your worst fear and yeah. realize that you still the sun would still come up in it sure day and the world would still keep spinning just like it did in the past when your worst fears came yeah, yeah, yeah. or and that takes a bit of the power out of it it does yeah no that's that's definitely a good approach um because i think when, when we talk to people about fears and even through coaching a lot of times people are afraid of taking an opportunity or what this might happen to that. But when you actually step back and, and look at it from a different seat, a different position, you can see it for maybe what it is or you almost kind of work through the the chain of events that will happen. It uh, it's not un, it reduces the, the power or the significance. But but no, uh, thanks, thanks for, for that. How do you... I guess what what's your what's your future hold? What's your ambitions and your your goals going forward? I know the work life balance answer kind of gave that you're in a happy place. Uh-huh. What uh, you know? What's next for for you? I think. Uh, on a superficial level, you know, I, I'm planning to renovate the house a bit and just change things up. I suppose freshen things up. So that's what's next for me. I feel like uh, I'm in a new place. We've been married for two and a half years. Been in this relationship for the last four years. Had my drag baby living with us, Pixie. She's been living here for the last six years. And that it's time for a refresh. That when I moved into this home, it was just me and my expectations and lifestyle were very different to how they are now. Mm-hmm. So now I think it's like a reevaluation where I want okay. the changes that have happened in my life to be reflected in my surroundings more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like what's next for me on a practical level, as in, you know, we have a builder penciled in, okay. <laughs> we have plans, cool. you know, stuff to do. Um, and I think that really that's because I'm putting down roots more than anything else and I don't see a lot of change. I don't hope for a lot of change, which might sound weird or naive, but I don't. I love what I do work-wise and if anything, I, I just like to sustain it. Mm. And in terms of my personal life, I feel like I'm in the relationship that I'm meant to be in with the person that I'm meant to be with. Um, so I don't feel the winds of change there either. Yeah, yeah. If anything, I feel the opposite. Sure. I feel like i found a sort of safe place to be. Cool. So I'm hoping just to grow old disgracefully <laughs> and maybe do another 20, 30 years of work. I really am inspired by Nora, my grand, back to her, and the idea that you can work until you're dead if you want to, if you love what you do. Sure. I would hate to work way into my like dotage out of necessity. My father retired quite young and he was quite successful but he was a complete workaholic so he worked himself to the bone all of his life. Right. He retired and he had two years of golfing around the world and boating and shark fishing and whatever. Two years of it and then he was diagnosed with cancer and then he died. Yeah. Whereas Nora had 88 years of work <laughs> in her own way. Yeah. You know, seven days a week but she loved what she did so mm. it didn't I think feel like work to her and it was yeah. completely on her terms yeah. because she chose it and that's more my personality that's who I feel I am so while other people are working really hard towards retirement 
I am working really hard towards not retirement. Yeah. I want to go as far as I can go, as long as I have strength to do it. Mostly because it keeps me physically fit and mm. it keeps me mentally fit and it's what makes me happy. Even if I take a week or two off work, after two, three weeks max, yeah. I don't even know who I am anymore. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know that person. Yeah. <laughs> but your your identity and your purpose is completely intertwined with yeah. your performance. And, and as you said at the start, when we were talking just before we got the... Hit, hit record you know end and veda are are one and the same right so you're yeah. you're completely connected and, and i feel like the work like that kind of work artistic work whether you know whether you're a drag queen or or a violinist that your process and the ritual that you go through to work and all of the adrenaline and fear and mm. excitement that's associated with it it becomes more than your work. It is almost, it's your practice, as if you practiced yoga or practice yeah, meditation. Yeah. It's that thing you do that takes you out of yourself in order to bring you back to yourself. Yeah. And without it, I don't feel right. Yeah, I yeah. need it. I didn't yeah. end up doing it by accident. Yeah. I do it on purpose. Enda was born and christened. Veda was created and named you know and one of those things were given to me the name Enda and that life was given to me and I'm super grateful Mm -hmm. but this life that Veda has I gave her because of another need in me to be more feminine and to be myself to not have to apologize for wanting to be Princess Leah not Luke Skywalker Uh, you know what I mean to want to have strawberry ice cream because it's pink Mm -hmm. as simple as that Mm. and not be told off for those things I love young parents I have like great friends who are young parents who are straight or gay and I just love to see in the modern world how not all children unfortunately but how some children are now being raised by people who don't have those kind of prejudices mm. who say sure yes of course yeah, yeah, yes yeah. of course Martha if you want a toolbox we're going to get you a toolbox. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, you know, Ellen, if you want to be a pilot when you grow up, mm-hmm. you're going to be a pilot. Yeah. And here you go, Kevin, here is your Elsa costume for Halloween. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like those kids are going to grow up happy. They may not grow up gay. That's a myth. They are already gay. If they're going to be gay, they're already gay. Yeah. But they will be happy. That much I can guarantee you, mm. you know? Cool couple of last ones I, I like to ask people about movies and documentaries or books that they, they read that they could say hey this is something that makes you feel better after watching it or something uh-huh. any movies jump out? yeah well, I think one of my favourite movies of all time is a movie called Moonstruck which sure yeah, yeah. Nicholas Cage, Nicolas Cage. Uh, yeah. I love that movie yeah. I, I haven't seen it in years it. but yeah. yeah good movie Cher uh, got an Oscar. It's it, it, there's a, a lot of Italian singing it. in it, is there? <laughs> huh? It's in Italy, is it? Said in Italy. It's in New York. New York, but, but it's an Italian Ita- family. family. Yeah, yeah. And my favorite thing about the whole movie is, like, much as I love Cher and Nicolas Cage, they're great. But Olympia Dukakis is in it, and she's the matriarch of the family. Right. Herself and her husband Cosmo are going through a difficult time in their marriage, and he's having an affair. And there's so much heart in that movie. In these scenes around the table of family. I guess family is hugely important to me. Mm. And there's great wit 
in what they say to each other and huge honesty and a lot of emotion. Right. And I'm from a big family. I'm kind of quite passionate people and I can relate to that. Okay. So it's one of my favorite movies. And one of the things I love about it most is when Olympia Dukakis, she confronts him about his affair mm. and she asks him, she says, Cosmo, have I been a good wife? And he says, yes. And she says, I want you to, to stop seeing her. And he says, yes. Right. And then he punches the table because he's so angry. But that's all that's ever said oh. about the affair between And them. it's over then. Like, and it's over. Yeah, it's all yeah. that needs to be said. Yeah. There's not all of this soul-searching and insecurity and drama. Mm. There's anything wrong with those things. Yeah, There's yeah. something beautiful in the simplicity of it mm. where she puts her foot down and he falls back in line. And something about that scene, every time I see it, I sob. I never quite been able to put my finger on why, mm. but I just cry with joy whenever I see it. There's something about a relationship that is not so perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be monogamous. Mm -hmm can still feel like real love, actual real love. Not romantic love, not beautiful, young, sexy love. Mm. Actual love mm. based on commitment, on dedication, mm. like time, experience, respect. Yep. I think there's some part of me that really, really has always wanted that mm. for me. Right. And that would be a big goal of mine. That's something that's in my future, I hope. Because whenever I see old people be romantic in old people, hello old people, I'm one of you, in public or on TV or anywhere, on first dates when they trot out the older couple, right? man, I just fall apart. Right. The idea that you can stay optimistic and open-hearted and, and be a seeker mm -hmm. right the way up to the end of your days, be open the idea of finding love of getting close to people so much in life is designed to shut you out and shut you down over time you see people get shut down all the time and more taken from them than given to them I walk up and down the streets of Dublin 8 which is being renovated and is, is going through this new resurgence of hipsters and on every street there is at least three or four houses with old people living on their own in them mm. beautiful kind old people I don't have the calling or maybe the time right now to be intimately involved in all their lives. I really don't. Yeah. I have an awareness of them being there. Yeah. And I see things like women who would go to the shop every single day since I've lived here, get older, maybe get pain, back pain or whatever, and suddenly not be going. Mm. And maybe their in-laws come and take them shopping once a week or whatever. Yeah. But over time you see them, there's an old man living directly behind us who, you know... It became almost like shut in over yeah. time and it's really sad and really hard to watch so when I see old people who are looking for love mm. and choosing not like to be on their own yeah. I just wish them all of the success in the world like all of the best and I see groups of old people organising themselves into social groups to mm. play bridge or go on tours to see Padre Pio in Rome or go to see Andre Rue in Brussels or do whatever. Like yeah. My mom's very active with that stuff. My aunts, my uncles. And 
I'm very interested in old age pensioners since my mom became one. And, you know, but that stuff really turns me on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wander straight from the point that I suppose when it comes to television or movies, anything that is about keeping that passion oh. for life yeah. going all the way up to the end just really super excites me. Yeah. It's the best answer I had from the movie question so far anyway. Uh, um, the, what about a, a book? Do you read much? Is there anything that sticks out? I read out? a little bit, but not as much as I used to, you know. Mm. Um, I'm not a massive reader. Nothing specific <laughs> that would jump out, you would say, would be uh, a book that you, you could recommend somebody I, to? Uh, yeah, well, I would say to anybody to read, read uh, Salman Rushdie. Read as much of it as you can. I think mm. he's super... Yeah, really sensational. Um, and my favorite Salman Rushdie book would probably be uh, a book called Midnight's Children, which is very mystical and magical storytelling on his part. Um, I enjoy witchy things, magical things, anything a bit spooky. So okay. I like things that have witches or wizards or right. any kind of like enchantment in them. Cool. So I lean that direction. Um, and Salman Rushdie certainly, certainly brings a lot of that kind of stuff. Neil Gaiman as well. I the Graveyard Book? By Neil Gaiman. I love The Graveyard yeah. Book. It's so beautiful. It's the first book I listened to as an audio book because I normally read, but I oh. tried to listen to it. I actually, on the, the, the recording I did this morning with Declan, who's has a library in his office, we talked about... I talked about that as well, which is kind of strange. But yeah, it's interesting. Neil Gaiman comes yeah, up. I yeah, I love him. And he's just started this new TV show called American Gods, which okay. is also a book. Have you read American no, Gods? No, It's a fantastic book, and it's just become a television show. Um, there's three or four episodes online. It's being right. shown in the States right now. Okay. And it's superb, and it's really exciting. I love anything to do with Neil Gaiman. I love to see his work being invested in, right. like becoming more mainstream because yeah. I think there's a lot of beauty and, and a lot of really pure intentions in what he's trying to say yeah. um, and American Gods is no exception it seems very exciting and also very relevant with the racial tensions and, and the state of politics in America to have a TV show like American Gods come okay. up which really is challenging basically they're telling the story of all of these immigrants to America from all over the world who are all gods and that's really the metaphor that he's using to talk about race in America okay. so they're not the, the, you know they're coming from Africa Russia wherever they're coming from but they are not normal people they're, yeah. they're deities they are, they are a whole right. culture in one person basically well, and I think it's a really powerful okay. metaphor sounds really know, interesting yeah. that people are bringing gifts they're not coming to your country to take anything away. Mm. They're actual gods right. bringing gifts. Cool. <laughs> you know? And is it set in the now? Yeah, it's set in the now. All right, okay. Yeah. It's definitely one I'd like to, to, to watch. Because even listen, I listen to the Graveyard Book and Gaiman narrates it. Like He talks it. So his voice is very powerful as well. He is a oh. great storytelling voice. Um, worth, worth a listen if you wanted to listen to the book as well. Um so I want to wrap it up with one last question and it's it's kind of one I try to ask at the end. It's all about advice. Uh-huh. So what's the best piece of advice or some advice that you've been given during your life that sticks out that you feel you want to pay pay forward, I guess? Is there anything that you could share? And it can be a few things, it can whatever comes to you. Uh-huh. 
Well, there's a couple of things that like uh, jump out at me. My mom used to say, and she really amused me uh, in dire circumstances, like the morning of my brother's wedding when there's been like war in the house. My mom would say, "You've ruined everything." Well to you? Done. Yeah. Oh God! She right. Like, You've ruined everything. Well done. And it was just this brilliant way that she had of diffusing everything, acknowledging the fact that yeah. everything had gone to crap. Right. But that, you know, Everything's that there's okay. something kind of funny about it yeah. and it's, it's fine. So it's one that I use a lot, you know, in, in tough times I, I, where someone's struggling. And it I just say, brings the mood down and relaxes things. I say you've ruined everything well done. Right. Where, where it comes from for me, I suppose, or how it brings me to my best piece of advice would be not to beat yourself up. That's what I get from that expression. I know that's what my mom is really saying to me, mm. is don't beat yourself up. Mm. I think there's so many people who are prepared to beat you up. Why help them? I think that if you've had challenging times, and most people have, that it's a habit that you can get into. And when other people are quite critical of you, or your choices, or who you are, it's a habit that you can pick up from them. Mm. Self-sabotage and beating yourself up. And I think we consciously need to make a decision to build ourselves up because it's totally ingrained in us to criticize ourselves, to question ourselves, to doubt ourselves and to make mistakes and focus on our mistakes. Mm -hmm. So you could, yesterday I sat down, I made a corset, it's very pretty, and but I made it too big because I was like nervous that I was going to make it too small. Right. So I made it too big. So then I had to spend quite a bit of time making it smaller. Is it better to be too big than too small? Better to be too big than too small because right. you, you can make it smaller easier than you can make it bigger. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Okay. That Good to know. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so I made this corset and I was like almost not enjoying it because I was being tense about the fact that it was too big. Yeah. And that I had some challenges. I wore it last night on stage and it looked stunning and I loved it. And okay. I just had to remind myself how mean I was to myself yeah. for the three or four hours that I made it. Mm. How sweaty and tortured I felt, yeah. you know, totally. because I decided I wasn't doing a good enough job. And it's unusual to remember hours later when you're looking in the mirror thinking, I love purple and red together and this course is beautiful, to actually stop and say... Look what you did. You yeah. made this. You picked up two pieces of fabric and you spent time with your hands and mm. you made it and it looks great because you will always go to that place of criticizing yourself. Mm. It's hard not to. Yeah. It's very difficult to find the time and have the presence of mind to praise yourself and bring balance to those things mm. nothing that I say or you say is going to stop people from analyzing themselves and criticizing themselves but maybe there is a blackboard in your house or a, a fridge magnet or something that you can put in your eye line to remind yourself yeah to congratulate yourself mm. to say you've ruined everything well done <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no it's very very good it's Every day you have that negative voice in your head. Uh, the key piece is, is the trigger to get yourself out of there as quick as possible. So I like the tip of uh, maybe, as you said, a little blackboard or just a sticky note or something like that. And with those words, I think it's probably a nice one to, to end with. Um, just as a, a wrap-up, how can people get in touch with, with you, with, with your me? persona and everything around that? 
Facebook, this... Veda Lady, that's V-E-D-A-L-A-D-Y, Veda Lady. Um, Twitter, Lady Veda, just to mix things up. Why not? Instagram, Veda Lady again. Um, I'm super communicative. I'm one of those people that gets those fabulous like five star reviews oh, cool. for answering immediately. All right. You know, it's a bit freaky, but it's just because I'm on the social media addict. Okay. And also, I'm very appreciative of anybody being interested in coming to see my show or book me for anything so I don't mess around. <laughs> so if anybody out there wants to talk to me, hit me up on Instagram and know that I will absolutely get back to you. Brilliant. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for taking Likewise, over an hour and a, 20 minutes or so. Uh, telling your story, I am really looking forward to, to getting it out there. And thanks so much, Veda. My pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, folks, you got to the end of another show. Thank you for persisting. I hope you enjoyed it as much as the others. So I'm just going to put a quick shout out for feedback. You can get in touch with me through the site. You can get in touch through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all on the robofthegreen.ie site and you can take it from there. Also, I'd love if you listen to on iTunes, leave a comment, give us a score out of five on the stars that are so much commonplace these days. I would really appreciate that if you did it. Whether it's good or bad, I can certainly take that. We'll, we'll make some improvements as we go. And yeah, I, I'll keep it short. I hope you enjoyed and I look forward to having you back for some more 1% Better podcasts in the future. Thank you and good luck.